Hey there, Cracked Podcast fans. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I think you need more movie magic in your life, which is why we are so excited to present Cracked Movie Club. Yeah, it's a movie club. It's great. It's a new show we're doing, and I want to let it speak for itself. So here's the very first episode for your enjoyment. And if you want to hear the second episode right now, search Cracked Movie Club in your podcast listening app or follow the link in this episode's description. The whole Cracked Movie Club feed is live. It has this first episode, which is going to be about Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then a second episode about Jurassic Park. Then you can catch the whole rest of the month of Steven Spielberg movies they're tackling, and then other director months from there by subscribing to the feed. Go to Crack Movie Club to get those episodes, and please, please subscribe, because it's a weekly show, and you're going to want to get those through digital magic instead of having to track them down piece by piece. Anyway, enough from me. Let's throw it over to Tom Ryman and Abe Epperson, along with special guest Daniel Van Kirk, for their Raiders of the Lost Ark inaugural premiere episode of my favorite new podcast, and hopefully yours too. Welcome to the Crack Movie Club. I'm Abe Epperson. I'm Tom Ryman. And we're the cracked experts on pop culture films that have surfaced in the last three to four decades. Self-appointed, but... Self-appointed, but here we are. We're here to tell you about things you may or may not know about your favorite classics and offer observation as what might ruin the movie for you. It's up to you. We hope I, it, it ruins it in a way that also enhances it, I hope. <laughs> I, we hope, we hope. So it'll be a love-hate uh, thing that you have with this, with this movie afterwards. <laughs> For the next 45, 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting the following film, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, 1981. Directed by Steven Spielberg. Along with us is our guest, Dan Van Kirk, Hi. who is the 2016 Comedy Central comic to watch, narrator of Dumb People Town and Hindsight Podcasts and iTunes. Definitely watch his sketch show DVK on the Nerds channel. Before we begin, Dan, if you want to say anything about yourself, now's the time. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. I love uh, this movie. I can't wait to dig into it with you guys. I find that over time it's changed. Like as a child, it was predominantly, if that's even the right way to say it, it was like more scary to me than anything. I can oh, see that. And then yeah, like I over just... time, like I've come to like, now I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, I see how this is an homage to everything. So... I'm thrilled to be when here. When was the first time you this. watched it when you were like really little? Yeah, probably yeah. like somewhere around five or six, maybe on the old v- VCR. Which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, Indiana Jones is you got horrifying moments. Oh yeah, no that 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 scene with the with the angels when it turns into a oh death face God. that yeah. used to scare the I shit out of me. I remember that scaring <laughs> uh, the hell to, out of me. Not to mention the skeleton wall. That oh yeah, that go, comes out of yeah. nowhere and then a snake and just. You know yeah, what really a, left snake. an impression on me? The hot poker. Yeah. With that, like, Fraulein. And, yeah. like, like taking yes. the hot... That, you will. That guy scared me to death. That, that guy was horrible. And, oh like, my a terrible gosh. hand. Did he ever go on to do anything else that, like, is of any note? I think he was... He wasn't even really an actor, if I remember correctly. Well, really? He just crawled back into his cave. Or, like, he was, like, an actor that hadn't done it in a while or something. I remember some interesting story about that guy. He's apparently, like, a very sweet man. But he oh. just really got into this toady, like... He so sweet. Yeah, he was, like, yeah. a precursor yeah. to yeah. Shemi. sweaty. Yeah, he's very sweaty. <laughs> I don't know if they like misted him before every shot. And yeah, he, he, he like predated like Harry Potter with like this like Slytherin speech that he had. That was like, yes, Fraulein. Yeah. Oh, he just really. he creeped me out. he still creeps yeah. me out. That yeah, holds still, up. Like, Man could definitely, he definitely talk to snakes. That guy. <laughs> well, let's kick it right off. Snakes. Before we begin, Dan, can you give us a synopsis of the film to the best of your ability? Yeah, he seems to get a lot of support from one man, but I would almost say like a nearing disgraced college professor (laughs) (laughs) moonlights as an artifact hunter and then gets roped into a government program for which he has no clearance or seems to have any concrete questions about other than like, you're going to give this to me when it's done. I'm like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. They do give him zero support. Yeah, (laughs) zero. Like the government has this huge thing and they send one guy with no training. Yeah. It's right up. He's got a whip. They yes. don't even they don't even give him like a special passport. Right. <laughs> or nothing. like a plane ticket. No. They give James Bond like gadgets. Yes. yes. They give him it's, a car. It's like right up there with Ben Affleck breaking down like why they wanted drillers instead of astronauts for Armageddon. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, we can't yeah. get these yeah. guys to we can't just get anybody to drill a hole. We need these guys. Yeah. But and, Michael Bay said, shut up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Shut up and take this check. So yeah, then he gets sent off to go do this, and through the help of some uh, international friends of his accomplishes his goals i would say 
I think that's a great. It's a summer. fairly fairly yeah. good summary. Yeah, uh, we Succinct. like on this show to segue to terrible log lines or summaries of movies that we thought could both be true mm-hmm. and a horrid one-liner for the movie. Basically, synopses that would never be yeah. used by Hollywood. We've prepared a few for these uh, yeah. in a segment we like to call "Terrible Log Lines." <laughs> Take us away. Raiders of the Lost Ark. A college professor reconnects with a teenager he seduced. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maniac attempts to place proof of God into a museum. Raging alcoholic gets thrown into madcap caper with ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> she drinks so much. Entirely in too much. Yes. She, she drinks an impossible like, amount. Like she's 100 pounds. Yeah. 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 Along those lines, drunken professor burns down Nepal's only bar. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Whipmaster fights Arab and African communities. Ooh. Man proves you can wear fedora and have whip skills and have it all. <laughs> French Nazi travels to an exotic island and explodes. <laughs> Archaeologist misweighs sand and almost dies for it. <laughs> the movie that shows you can wrap a whip around anything and never need to get it back. <laughs> Hero mechanic gives his life defending his airplane. <laughs> oh. uh, the U.S. government itemizes newfound magic. Think that's good enough for us for now? Right? They do just kind of catalog it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's like a Radio Shack uh, distribution warehouse back there. <laughs> yeah. No one knows where those are either. <laughs> <laughs> Probably literally where they're keeping it. Nobody's ever going to break into this building that no. has a Radio Shack logo on the front. Now we know the plot. Let's dive into the making of a movie from pre-production to post-production in yeah. a segment we call Expensive Pretending. Expensive Pretending. Uh, Costs a lot of money to, oh, to, to make believe. Oh, I take the floor on this one because one of my favorite facts about this movie is the, like, the creation of it. Because uh, George Lucas was trying to hide... Uh, away from his enormous Star Wars success and vacations in Hawaii, right? Mm-hmm. Guess who's there on break from Close Encounters? Stevie Spielman. So, <laughs> as one does, they're building a sandcastle. I shit you not, this is real. They are building a sandcastle together. together. How high were on they? On the beach. <laughs> How who knows? fucking who knows? high? It was the late 70s. Uh, they're both just fucking rolling and building a sandcastle. Yeah. Lucas mentions what that What if he... we live in this castle? <laughs> like, well, who says it? that a sandcastle has to be small, man? Like, like, we could build our own structure. I don't know, man. Sand is, like, coarse. And, and it, gets it gets everywhere. So is life though man we're so, living in life like, write that down so dude so Lucas mentions that he's had this idea for like a decade about quote the adventures of Indiana Smith what yes and in my mind which is this is all speculative but in my mind that tank house meeting ended with Spielberg walking away a la Justin Timberlake and social network turning to Lucas and saying lose the Smith Jones yeah. I like Jones <laughs> That's that's all. That's yes all. or no? Hand to God, guys. If it was Smith, do you think then the nickname would have been Smitty? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like because he loves doing that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Man, Chewbacca is chewy. Chew, like he loves yeah, yeah. doing that. Yeah. 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 You're right. It God, would have been would Smitty. Be Smitty. Yeah. With a whip and a yeah. <laughs> Smitty. <laughs> it's actually really. Funny no, it really sounds like a guy who works at a state fair. Well, it's also because like, we work with. Alex Schmidt, who we've all called Schmitty, yeah, one time yeah. or another. And, so and now I can't. I just am imagining Alex Schmidt with like, get him a whip. Him. Yeah, just give him a whip. And see what the fuck happens. You want to add anything on the pre-production element? Yeah, I mean, it's just this is like peak peak George Lucas. Mm. It's like he was the king of Hollywood at this point. He had more clout than anyone, certainly more than Spielberg, because Spielberg was coming off of 1941, which had disappointed people. Right. So like he wasn't the sure thing hit maker that that he is, but Lucas was, and he had all this juice. So he kind of just used that to to kind of will this movie into existence and it was based like mostly on a single lobby card still shot of, of um, a Zorro movie called Zorro Rides Again and it's a shot of Zorro jumping from his horse onto this truck and that exact shot is in Raiders in Indiana Oh Jones. really? Yeah, like he rides up yeah. next to it on a horse and then jumps onto the truck and he's like, this picture is the movie that I want, this scene, I want this in there, this just is, it captures it fully. Right, Indiana Smith. Of Indiana Smith and then how the movie came together is he and Spielberg and Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter who was also just kind of up and coming at the time, just had a series of meetings over the course of one week I think where they just sat a tape recorder in the middle of the room and it's just Spielberg and Lucas just 
spitballing ideas right. and Cass is sitting there like writing it all down and at the end of that meeting they're like okay go write this there's wow. a transcript yeah. online in fact yeah you can read the transcript of, of all the uh, recordings that they made really yeah, yeah. Oh, it's that's really, pretty dope it's pretty interesting yeah and, and also just like hear how they work like what ideas came to them in what order yeah and, like, and they're pretty like bombastic like they, like they finish each other's sentences there doesn't seem to be like a code if I remember of like you speak I speak you speak I speak yeah, yeah. whatever you may think of either one of those guys it seems like a genuine collaboration that's yeah. cool which is cool yeah. and i yeah and i always thought because spielberg always talked about he wanted he wanted to make an ode to b serials a la like flash gordon and he always wanted to make something like james bond so that was something that spielberg was like super oh i'm down which i thought is interesting at this time because he's like he wants to bring in the spark of like that american frontiersman spirit that we saw in han solo mm-hmm and he wanted to turn into literally James Bond. He wanted both an outlaw and like a lawman, frankly, like a guy who could jump between both. Indiana Jones is never in legal trouble. No. And he really should be. He should be. Oh, yeah, for sure. He has a whip. Well, I mean, and what he's doing is like breaking international laws. Like he he goes into these places and steals things from graves. He also seems to have a questionable relationship with at least one of his students. Yeah, yeah, ten thousand percent. Right, like that. I mean, she clear. wrote "Love You." On it was there was no question. Mark. Oh, that lady. Yeah, yeah. There was no question mark. Like she was saying it. Apparently, there was a scene where when Marcus comes to his house. Oh, I read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he, that student mm-hmm. was there with him. The same one. I don't know if it was that yeah. student. Because it was like if a you young watch female. the movie, you're like, why the hell is he wearing this robe? And then two, why is there champagne already open? <laughs> yeah, he was just, he was just like, I really thought himself. that. And then I ended up finding out that there was that like deleted scene of yeah. the guy leaves and then he's there with a woman. Yeah. But he didn't yeah. want her to be a playboy or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That was like they wanted him to be. Hence the James Bond. Name. Yeah. Like that yeah. was yeah. part of it. They yeah. really wanted him to be that. Lucas's archetype. original vision was that he wanted yeah. him to be more of like he had some kind of habit that he had to support. So he's kind of more of a, a like a darker character right. in the original conception. Which is totally like a new thing for then. But now it is inhabited like all of our heroes. Sure. Like think about it, like everyone's from here to die hard to star lord yeah. they're all like playboy philanthropists they're all like got a dark streak but they're also good guys at their heart it's always like a charmingly roguish dark, sc- yeah, dark streak it's never like genuine darkness yeah it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's not joker dark <laughs> like star lord's not sitting in the back of, of of the milano which is the name of a spaceship like shooting up space heroin like, <laughs> I hope you know. so. yeah right I that's hope so. which that might be why he's bombing around stealing Infinity Stones. <laughs> Gonna buy that sweet, sweet H. One of the things that I loved about this movie too, and it's something that like we've gotten like so obsessed with now, with like that we see in our movies and our culture is, we feel like they always have to explain the origin in every movie. Mm-hmm. Like you look at when they redid the, even the Grinch. There's like a third of that movie is like how yeah. the Grinch became the Grinch, <laughs> yeah. and then like in X Men First Class, like well we've got to show you like everybody is a little a little kid, which is even predating them how they became the X-Men, which is its own origin story. But, like, we go all the way back to, like, Mystique as seven years old and stuff like that. This movie, you just jump in. This guy's going through the jungle looking for something. Right. We don't need to tell you everything. I mean, obviously, we were all given the gift of young Indiana Jones. Right. R.I.P. River Phoenix. But... I just love these deals where the movie just says, like, the audience will figure it out. Yeah, you understand. This guy's the good guy. This guy's the bad guy. We don't need to tell you everything about how we got here. You understand him. He does. You understand him completely within the first 10 minutes of the movie. You're like, okay, I know this guy. I know what he's about. And like you were saying with James Bond, it's it's the same kind of thing where it's like, we don't need to explain him. You just see him for a scene. You're like, okay, I get this guy. And the format is the same. Like, the first 10 minutes, six minutes of any James Bond film is him on last mission, close in the deal and then we jump into all right now he's got to meet with M. yeah you know like maybe fans of the show can like tell us after this drops but in the pre-production stuff did you guys find out anything about harrison ford's casting or oh yeah 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 yeah. it's definitely like interesting (laughs) it's interesting to me that it seems like you know he wanted to be done with star wars spoiler alert and so yeah (laughs) <laughs> he just kind of was over the Han Solo character or over maybe the whole right, thing. But, but that seems to still like Indiana Jones a little that's too much. Really that's there. That's actually a really interesting point. You want to talk about Tom Sure, Solo? yeah. I'd love to I'd love to go into the casting. The casting of this movie is fascinating. From the beginning, Spielberg wanted Harrison Ford. And George Lucas was against it for two reasons. One, he didn't want 
Harrison Ford to be his guy. Like he didn't want to have like a Scorsese type. Right. Like where he's just in all of his movies. And two, he was like the deal that they had made for the Indiana Jones movies, which was like an unprecedented deal at the time. They were like asking for all this money up front. They also wanted like merchandising rights and they also wanted to own the movie. So who does? George? Yeah. George and Steven. When they were trying to, when they were trying to sell Raiders, they were selling it as like a three picture deal. And the studio who bought it essentially would get like distribution rights, but Lucasfilm would still own it and would own all the merchandise and anything. It was like at the time, it was unheard of. Like you can find old pictures of variety write ups of being like, look at these jackasses. Who do they think? But this is part and parcel for Spielberg. He's known as like one of the staunchest negotiators of all time in the industry. Oh, really? Yeah. He was the one who was like, I got points on the back end. Yeah. Also, merchandising is just me. Like, he, wow. and, he's really good about and it. And Lucas famously did that for Star Wars, yeah. too. Yeah. He was yeah. like, I want all the action figures. and like, fucking fine. But because it was a three-picture deal, he was like, I don't want Harrison, because he never got Harrison Ford to sign to more than one Star Wars. He had to go to him each time oh, to really? ask him to do it, because Harrison wouldn't sign a multi-Star Wars deal. That hard-to-play-and-get Carpenter motherfucker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was like, nah, we'll talk about it when the next one rolls around. But So they went through this big uh, casting process, it was neat. The way that they did the casting process was Spielberg would have people come down to the Lucasfilm headquarters, which was this building called the Egg Building, because it used to be like an old egg packaging plant or something. Where? Around here. Uh, I think it was uh, Burbank. Burbank, oh, okay. probably. Yeah. But they just, they called it the Egg Building because they didn't want to call it Lucasfilm because at the time it was like Star Wars was everybody and yeah. they'd have like, I mean, now like nobody cares. Like we probably work in the same building as Lucasfilm. But... <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I saw George this on my is, way yeah, in. Is, and he's still like yeah. consulting. I mean, yeah. Disney owns it. But we got a ranch out in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, All right. Yeah, he was getting grapes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's in the kitchen getting goldfish. <laughs> But the way they were doing the, the casting was they were trying out different indies and different Marions, and Spielberg would have them come in and go to the kitchen of the egg building and make a recipe together. Mm. Like, that's how he would audition them it together. chemistry test. Right. Which yeah. is kind of smart. Like, really smart. Yeah. yeah. You, you learn a lot about people trying yeah. to do something, to get, do anything together. Yeah. This is, I mean, they would, obviously, they had the standard, like, reads and stuff where they would just come in and audition like the parts but like this was like the big test was he would he would bring them in to try them out together to see how they would perform and and stuff like that and one of their early front runners for uh indiana jones which i think some people may are it was tom Selleck. (laughs) yeah he wasn't magnum pi at the time though he wasn't famous yet so this was like poised to be like his big break because he was in development deal with cbs or whoever had yeah cbs but they were kind of sitting on it. Like they weren't putting Magnum into production. So he's like, fuck it, I'll, I'll just audition for this movie. And they were go- they got to the point where they were casting him. And then CBS was like, Prevented. nope, we're putting this into production now. You can't have him. So they moved Magnum P.I. in production so they wouldn't lose him. a lot him. of people don't know is when actors go or, or writers and stuff like that, if you have a project, you have a thing called positions. So you have like first position and second position. And when you negotiate any sort of deal, you negotiate what position that falls into. And that takes precedent so if you're i'm trying to think right now of like somebody who's on like guest spots on like an hbo show but still oh here's one so tim meadows was in goldberg's right and then he also had his show son of zorn well son of zorn is in first position so any of his production or anything he does that comes first and goldberg's if they wanted to put him in have to work around zorn right so in this scenario tom Selleck, his deal had first position on anything that he did scheduling wise, and then they have the right by that contract yeah. to be like, no, you can't. We're uh, we're gonna shoot. We're gonna go into production on something, right. and that's essentially what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Happened to him is exactly he had first I'm, position yeah. deal with Which CBS, is... and they didn't give a shit about, <laughs> <laughs> or they just gave so much of a shit of not losing him that it forced their hand into. Yeah, yeah. But ironically, it's Indiana Jones was still his big break because almost. Being cast Indiana Jones caused Magnum P.I. to go into yeah. production, which is what blew Tom Selleck up. So. And do you guys know this? There's have. a lot of hat talk because it's Indiana Jones. I recently listened to this interview about a person who had like written a book on the history of hats and mm-hmm. like how hats – you're wearing a hat right I now. Am? If you go back before like in the 70s, uh, early 80s, hats were never worn as a fashion statement. Other than like men with fedoras and, and things like that. But baseball caps were never worn. You would see them on the occasional right. child or mechanic, but that was it. And so this person tried to trace back how did hats become, like baseball hats become part of men's fashion. And it all goes back to Magnum P.I. No fucking way. Yeah, yeah. That started the idea of the cool, a, a guy socially being cool wearing a wearing baseball it. hat. And now it's... And very yeah. tiny shorts. Yes. Every sports every, star. Everything. Every... Everything. 
is Magnum PI. We so gotta do like this is really a story about hats. Is it <laughs> is it haberdashery? What is the art yeah, of yeah, hat? I think that yes. sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We gotta do a deep dive some, some on making hats. of hats. Yeah, yeah. Cause, and because they're just important in my life. Like my style is, yeah. I always. I've wear never a hat. seen you without a hat. Exactly. Thank <laughs> Magnum. Usually this one. Magnum PI not getting cast in. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Man, I want to grow a mustache. <laughs> you did. Just shave I, everything else. Yeah, you, yeah, there's a mustache. Right, there's right. a mustache hiding uh, in there. I, like in this area, I'm a 13 year old boy. <laughs> so, I think it looks good. Uh, I need, I need the an, beard. Uh, yeah, I'm the beard a, carries it across the finish line. I'm an unapologetic neck beard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I go for like the that deviant your, slash hobo needs, look. That needs to be your Twitter bio. Unapologetic <laughs> neck beard. Yeah. That's pretty solid. Oh, so man. so he ends up moving out, and then they settle on Harrison. They settle on Harrison. Yeah, they came to him. You know, it's they finally they went to through so many people. David Hasselhoff was another person. <laughs> really, he because he was. This is also. I think this is before Knight Rider. So he hadn't. So if you didn't get Indiana Jones, you got an extremely sex, successful 1980s television career. Basically, yeah, <laughs> nice. yeah, it worked out for everybody. I yeah, feel like be- they were casting based off like hairiness of chest. There, there, there was. It was all about how here suit the uh, hair suit. <laughs> the, uh, well, I think it plays into what they wanted in that. I mean, because this is a super homage to the matinees of yeah, like yeah, the 50s. Yeah. And Macho. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they just wanted a big barrel-chested guy, which honestly, I feel like Harrison's actually a little bit more of a slimmer build yeah, than the two. Like a, yeah, he's yeah. not like a, yeah. a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got muscles, but sure, he, he's a roguish. Yeah, you know? yeah. All the... He's yeah, not. He's Tom not. Solo. He's not like Tom Selleck or Hasselhoff. No. They're just like we're like barbarians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. gigantic hairy chests with yeah. legs. So yeah, they finally just came to him with a deal. Even though Luke's is like he's never going to sign it. He's never to agree to multiple pictures. And Harrison Ford meets with Spielberg because he hadn't met him at the time. Like they, I think they maybe casually knew each other, but sure. they hadn't worked on anything together. And they hadn't uh, really interacted in a, in a professional way. But he does a meeting with them, and he's like, "All right, I'll sign for three movies with you." Really. <laughs> Just out of character. Because he must have loved the character, right? Yeah, I think I, I think he liked the character. I think he probably liked Spielberg a lot. Yeah, I think Spielberg has that effect. Oh, plus, there's something to be said about Han Solo isn't the lead. So that yeah, might that's not be why he signed on a multiple. But knowing that he was the lead, he knew once he's inside, he could control things. Because it yeah. would be like... Temple of Doom comes around and he's like, "What are you gonna get another?" Uh, yeah, who else are you gonna get indie? to play Indiana Jones? You know, Can I ask you guys like might be the dumbest question you get in, in any of these episodes. Throw it out there. Is Temple of Doom a prequel? Yes, it is. It sure is. Yeah. I never knew this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I never. So I heard someone offhandedly say this like two weeks ago or so before you guys even reached out to me to do the show. It was a, a radio show that I listened to out of Chicago, and I was like, "Did I just hear him say it's a prequel?" Yeah. I never ever knew yeah, that it's like a stealth prequel because if you don't read the date at the very beginning or if you just kind of like don't think about it you would never realize it <laughs> why i think i'm sorry i, I, I actually have a theory no 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 i got a theory i got a theory about it like it's i think it, it wasn't out of like they wanted it to be i think it's just that once they realized that they had the nazi arc between those t- the two other movies yeah and they always knew they were gonna do like a last crusade i think right. they had already planned yeah, out the concept Kazdin was like, but if we were to follow that trajectory, all that Temple Doom, like the Shanghai stuff, that wouldn't fall in the right time because of World War II. Right. So they had to make it earlier. How much earlier is it? It's like 27. No, I don't know. I can't remember because Raiders is maybe like seven years earlier. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. It's in the the 20s. Definitely not before he was. Apparently, fucking uh, <laughs> yeah. teenager, Car- yeah. teenage Car- Marion, Karen Allen. Yeah, uh, yeah. She's like, cause she, she's what, twenty five in that movie. Um, and maybe she maybe. references she's in really that young. in the when she, they're in the submarine. She's like, you're not the man you used to be ten years ago. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> oh, that's so, dark. <laughs> fucking a fourteen-year-old Indy. All right. I guess it's. I mean, he was I'm in his hope mansion. Twenty eight. Let's give him a three-year-old. <laughs> Let's, Let's hope. Yeah. Let's hope. Wow. I think that that's what they're well, thinking. Sorry to totally derail, but no, no, no. I, no, no, no that's no, a good I question. Knew you guys yeah, I, know. I missed. I didn't know that probably until I was in my twenties. And if I ask questions where I seem dumb, I definitely want them to be into a microphone. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, if I do something, it's been my mantra for decades <laughs> now. If, dumb. if I do, if I do something dumb, I at least want people to see it. Yeah. Like for if, sure. I, if I fall down the stairs, I at least want to have somebody be able to. You got that right. That's always the first thing you say. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Marion, the people that they were close to casting for that were Deborah Winger, Sean Young, and Dee Wallace. 
D Wallace is crazy to me. Yeah, that's a weird one. That's a weird D Wallace yeah. is the mom from E.T., right? She's yeah. eventually in E.T. And then also the howling. Oh, and this is my my last piece of the, on the casting, and then we can move on. This is yeah, one of my, yeah. this is my, like, my favorite piece. Is they cast John Rice Davies as Sala, obviously. Mm-hmm. Their first choice was Danny DeVito. Danny! No! And they couldn't get him because he was too expensive. Oh, baby! Really? Yeah, Danny, they, Danny DeVito priced them out. <laughs> He gave him the old DeVito. Because <laughs> he's a big, I think he's a big TV star at the time. He's on Taxi Huge, at the time. Yeah. yeah. So like, That's yeah. a good call. So he was That's like the call. biggest star they were reaching for. Right. And what a like, different time. Like, now. Now. Yeah. I'm on Taxi. <laughs> I also want to just notable thoughts about we're still in like the pre-production area. Not about casting, but like. Something that's unique to my knowledge or just like something that people might find interesting is this was uh, not one of the first movies, but definitely one of the movies that utilized a certain property of camera lenses that they used in this movie, which are Panavision cameras. Uh, Oh, yeah. Panavision was shooting into like, I can't even remember when it started, like 45. There's a lot of Westerns. But this one used in few notable shots. There's something unique to anamorphic lenses, which is what Panavision uses. It makes this horizontal blue flare when there's a, Mm -hmm. like a light. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's been in a bunch of movies. But this movie kind of, it's known in like film schools as like the one that like, there's a few money shots for it that it just, after this movie, just took flood across the industry. In fact, due to this movie's success, like other studios started utilizing it, like Warner Brothers and stuff. And they tried to make sure that even though they weren't using Panavision glass, that they were trying to recreate this thing to the point that they actually made a piece of glass, like a filter that you put in front of the camera that artificially creates the blue really? flare. Yeah. What's, uh, give, what's an example of a shot in Raiders where you can see that? Uh, you can see it when he's digging, or he's not digging, after he's done digging and all of his servants are digging, I guess. And it's like the... Yeah. Oh, it's the dusk shot where he's dusk putting shot. on his hat. Yeah, he's putting on his hat. You yeah. get a little bit of that. Uh, you get it in uh, the Well of Souls, which is the snake pit. At one point, it like rears around because of the reflections are happening. Like mm-hmm. the reflections between the, the glasses happening and it just... Oh, yeah. Camera dollies through it and it just turns like almost all blue for a minute or a second and then it moves yeah. past. So there's a few shots of it. If you can think of any other... Shots in the audience, please mention them. If you or a close family member take daily medications, pay close attention. Chances are you've gotten the chain drugstore runaround, you know, long lines, having to make multiple trips, uh, chasing doctors and insurance companies. You know, sometimes you get there, you have some prescription hasn't got in yet. You know, somebody's got to call somebody else and it ends up taking up a whole bunch of time. Enter Phil, the Smarter Prescription Refill Service. Your monthly medications are filled by top-rated, locally-owned pharmacies and delivered to your door for free. All you have to do is take a minute to sign up on their website. Your prescriptions arrive month after month to your door on time. If you run out of refills or if there's a hiccup with your insurance, they troubleshoot everything, so you don't have to. Your co-pays remain the same, you don't pay a dime in shipping, and they accept most insurance plans. And the best part is you'd be supporting a locally-owned pharmacy that prides itself in serving you. To sign up, go to phil.us slash club and give them a try. That's phil, like the person, like Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day, dot us forward slash club. And they'll even take $20 off your first prescription refill, which is pretty good deal. That'd cover, I think, at least one or two of my prescriptions, so... And if you're not 100% satisfied, they'll gladly switch you back to your old pharmacy. Phil, the smarter way to refill your prescriptions. Let's talk about production, right? Well, yeah, well, speaking of the snake pit, all the snakes are non-venomous, except for the cobras. They had like a couple cobras in there. And in order to have cobras, you know, for safety reasons, anytime you have a venomous animal, you got to have anti-venom. And they're filming this in Tunisia, I think. Yeah. They could not find any anti-venom like in the entire continent. Mm-mm. None in Europe. They couldn't find any in Europe. They had some flown in from, eventually they had some from flown in from the American embassy in India. Feels that, like it should be more readily available. You're right? Like, yeah, they, they had... Yeah, anti-venom. And when they, and when they the did area. when they did get that anti-venom, which they had got from like a, 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 a naval hospital through the American embassy, it was like old. It was like expired. Oh <laughs> so it was like they yeah. couldn't find any fucking anti-venom. And two notes about the snakes. One is that the production bought... Just think about this. They, they brought 7,000 snakes. That is probably the worst 
phrase that yeah. I'm going to utter for the next three years. That's yeah. a weird shopping list to give somebody right. to. Seven give some snakes. PA. No, <laughs> like, there were pythons, cobras were the venomous ones, but they were mostly non-venomous legless lizards, <laughs> which I didn't know is not a thing you call a snake. Me either. Yeah, li- there's legless lizards, apparently. Really? Yes. And they bought them. What's the dis- almost seven thousand? What's the distinction? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a biologist. Probably I'm not lizard man. Bone structure. I'm guessing it's got to be something. I don't, yeah. I don't know, but that's uh, what her- I read. Herpet- herpetologist is that a reptile? Yes, man. I don't know. I love that you didn't even look at me. Like, I who would argue with you on that term? Be like, actually, sir, it's the yeah. If whatever <laughs> you want to say, it is. I'm gonna agree I'm with Rep- you. I'm looking, I'm looking at you now. Now I'm, I'm teeing you up. Now's your now's your moment to shine. Uh, but in order to tell me what the fuck a reptile no doctor is, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> More in this cobra anti-venom vein. The two shots that happen: one it happens with Mary, and one it happens with Indy is that when they fall into the well of souls yeah. and they look and there's that same fucking cobra there, there is plexiglass between the snakes and the actor. So For obvious, obvious reasons. reasons. <laughs> now, if you watch the, if you ever watched it like on the VHS or on film, you can actually see like because there's fires, you can see reflections oh. of the fire in the plexiglass. They removed it for the DVD because they're yeah, like, not there why anymore. not improve it? What about the laser disc? I don't know. I think I they think put it's still ra- on the laser disc. Radars instead of guns. <laughs> <in there. laughs> All the Nazis have walkie talkies. Walkie talkies yeah. instead of machine guns. <laughs> that shit's getting out of hand. <laughs> obviously, well, not maybe not obviously, but I know that one of the more famous behind the scenes stories about Indiana Jones this first one is that everybody was like really super sick for the desert stuff. And that's why that famous scene where Indy's in the streets of Cairo, I think, I think is where they're supposed to be looking for Marion. And he comes to, uh, across that swordsman who does mm-hmm. like this cool thing. And he's just like, fucking just shoots him and then goes off. They had a, a whole fight scene choreographed for that. that. They actually filmed part of, like you can kind of see behind Indy. There's this like, meat stand like a butcher stand behind him and they had a whole fight scene that involved like the guy coming at him and like on that butcher block and like hitting meat instead of him and he's like rolling out of the way and they film part of it so you can actually see some of it that exists but on the day like everybody had been so like violently ill like they had crew members dysentery it was like 130 degree heat they had people who were literally collapsing on set and had to be flown to hospitals like that's how bad it was and spielberg was like he wasn't ill but he was like losing his mind at this point he was like this shoot is horrible i'm done i just want to leave uh john reese davies actually shit him yep solid shit his pants (laughs) (laughs) i shit myself Myself. Start singing HMS Pinafore. My friend, <laughs> my friend, could you hand me a towel? Stop the gate! Stop! The, stop the camera! Please, my friends. <laughs> Salah. We we all want to do a pooping joke. Yeah, poop yeah. jokes. It's it's fun to do uh, John Rhys Davies <laughs> poop in his pants in his in his booming theatrical voice. Yeah, so theatrical. <laughs> his false staff. So what do they end up doing? Well, uh, on the day of, because Spielberg's ready to shut the whole thing down, Harrison Ford's sick as hell. Everybody's sick. And they still had to kind of iron out this scene and get the rest of it, which would involve a lot of like rolling around. And obviously Harrison Ford doesn't want to shit his pants. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, what if I just shoot him? So they filmed that. It worked. And classic. And yeah. it's like a classic scene. Yeah. In fact, they almost did a redo in Temple of Doom, which is technically a prequel. Yes. Which makes that... Makes it not make sense. Not good. Yeah. I think it was Joss Whedon who had an argument about how, like, the fact that they did the repeat of, like, he goes for the gun but doesn't have the gun in Temple of Doom means that this is not just a thing where he was just literally tired in Raiders and, like, just decided. It means he does this often. (laughs) So it's like he's a dishonorable human. He's like, let's have this fight. He's like, I'm just going to shoot you like I did the other six guys who were, like, this big sword. But I like, I kind of like that about him where he's just like, I'm I'm just going to shoot him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He kills so many people. Yeah, he just just does not give a For a college professor. <laughs> Something I want to talk about is at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> unless you had more. Mm, okay, no, cool. you're good. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, I had this huge question, and I want to see if either of you guys can solve it. So at the beginning of the movie, Indy tells Alfred Molina, just within minutes. His guide, Satipo. Yeah. He's like, when entering the ruins, the first trap that we're going to see is a trap based on light. Specifically, if light is obstructed, spikes will come out. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's think about that for just a second. Does that mean that somehow, like, whoever created this ruins, they attuned it to the light at the moment of the time of day? 
or is it just a spikes come out every night or it's just every time is the sun it like goes down, winter and summer up solstice with yeah exactly <laughs> like how does this thing freaking work yeah i'm just reloading it no yeah all good questions right yeah these no? are all perfect questions audience if you have an this answer, is my only i thing. desperately want to know that i don't even know how you would create this mechanism but if the light change is gradual enough they don't shoot off it's when there's right. a sudden break Maybe, of the yeah. light. That's Ooh, the only that. way that that Ooh, would work. I could see that. Because it's so gradual over day that it just kind of like eases off the trigger. Right. But if you break the light suddenly, then they'll... But what happens but when like... But um, you wouldn't have that problem at all, right? Question is how old... Yeah, because it would be gradual. There's no light for you to break. But my question is, how old are these ruins and how fast do plants grow? Because we know that there's like plants just going all around that I mean, window. I think you just either maybe on purpose or inadvertently created like a great funnier die sketch about the people who do upkeep on booby traps. On booby traps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have like, to do. Yeah. Upkeep. They have to like go in. Like, all right, team. Yeah. We got to make this <laughs> obscure chest this. be like, hidden. Yeah. You know, we've, we've, it's well tread. The yeah. construction workers on the Death Star. <laughs> right. You could be the guy, like the crew that upkeeps booby traps like for years. You yeah. have like, 3,000-year contracts with, like, old Mayan temples right. to, like, go in and make sure we all this. We had to maintain these secret puzzle rooms. Yes. I like the idea that, like, there's a hierarchy there because there's obviously a foreman and one of the lower-end guys is going to be like, hey, boss, uh, what do you think about just stealing the treasure? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I wanted this, too. Like, even with the boulder, I'm like, who resets this boulder? And this is weird. Like, the boulder, I think, is meant to seal the temple up. Right. If you're on the but inside, like, you're done. Why let anybody in in the first place? Because it's not like a place of worship. Because you can't navigate that place to get to that <laughs> idol without getting assassinated. By definition, <laughs> like, there's one way in. Yeah. One way out. So, like, they just put it there to, like, entice people. And then the first time somebody tries to steal it, they got a boulder that closes it up forever. So it's like... It's like they knew it was kind of like a game show yeah. when they built it. Did, the boulder just happens, right? It happens once he takes the idol off and tries to... The weight. The so it started moving the moment he did that, but he got to the point where he could get in front of it in time. Well, it, That's my it's question. Come, yeah. It comes yeah. from above. Does it? Yeah, it but, comes from above. But it must have started moving the moment that he... Right. Like yeah. whatever set that off had to have happened then, because he doesn't set off something... Right before the boulders that that initiates the boulder. No, but, it's, right? it's yeah. He takes it's it all off. Part it's slowly. Of the... You hear you like hear a mechanism slowly engage. So he's got like a little bit, but then like you don't see the boulder until after he gets double crossed by Alfred Molina and has to like struggle up. And then like the door, there's there's another door that's like closing. Yeah. yeah. So he gets beyond that. Yeah, you're right. It's like where was that coming from? <laughs> like, did it take it like a minute to roll to that point where he finally sees it? It must be like it's off like just to the like side. a giant slide yeah. coming down the mountain, and it like the slow mechanism is just like gate lowering. Yeah, so. maybe that's the maybe that's the mechanism. It's just those guys, those maintenance dudes, <laughs> just like, like they heard something. Oh, we got to push uh, the rock. Yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> finally, who knew? Dave, help me with the rock. <laughs> yeah. they, there's a whole side part where they had an argument. <laughs> yeah. Like it should have gone right away. Dave, but, is it enough sand? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I cannot do this by myself. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite parts, though. From the Disneyland ride, that boulder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. And the arrows. Oh, man. That's solid. Amen. (laughs) Speaking about uh, faulty entrances and exits, that's a segue for you. Sure. I love how when Marion and Indy get out of the snake pit, they just like push a block of limestone. Do you remember this part? Yes. Before the airplane? I was having a very hard time figuring out the levels. Yeah, because they the were layout down the up, ground. Yeah. yeah, and now they're up. Like so, they must have had. And stairs. now it's like all of a sudden, like a pyramid that's above but ground. It's a loose limestone block that can be pushed by the strength of a man. Mm-hmm. And there are just archaeologists like fucking everywhere. By the yeah. way, there's a plain tarmac kind of. Yeah, they're airfield. within. They're within, within 50 like, yards. Yeah, right? at 100 least 100 meters. Yeah, and man. That's not the first thing you check is like, let's just go to fucking town on this limestone <laughs> well, structure. structure yeah, yeah, yeah. Right next in to there. their secret Because this will lead to something. Yeah. Probably <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. The thing we're, the thing thing we're, we're, thing looking, we're looking for. for. But no one does it. You also notice a sleepy like airman in the wide shot when he's like, it's like foreground, the propeller, uh-huh. and it's looking at them exit. Uh, and it's because it's a deleted scene where as he like, gets right out of the limestone like crevice that he made. Uh, there's an Arab man right in front of him and he knocks him the fuck out. Oh, really? Yeah, but 
Otherwise, because I always noticed it when I was a kid when you watch that shot, it's very short, but like there's just a sleeping dude. <laughs> Like right next to Indy, like pushing this huge block and then getting out with his girlfriend. He's just taking a nap, and he's just like napping. I guess. Let's not say girlfriend. Let's pull it back. I think Indiana Jones would want you to maybe. (laughs) We just we've reconnected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We're gonna see what happens. We're not putting any labels on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're putting any labels. Travelers with benefits. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is just like a fling. We're on a we're on an archaeological fling. (laughs) I'm jumping forward a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Interest of time. But one of the craziest facts that I found while researching this is that the Nazi submarine that interrupts Indian Mariner on their voyage. That never goes underwater? Yeah. Nope. The (laughs) Nazi submarine that takes them over, that's fucking Das Boot. Literally. Really? The same shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa. It's actually, they, in the 80s, they like sold all their shit away and they like rented it from Das Boot. Yeah, it Which really is just crazy. Thing. It really drove me nuts that that submarine never submerged. There's a there's yeah. a there's a deleted scene where you can you can see him like clinging to like the periscope or he whatever lasses. the entire way, just like holding on to it. Like, Which makes no sense from all oh, it's No, yeah, none at all. Just like, do you think it was just like a like production schedule thing that they didn't want to like have a scene where he found a hatch before and like stowed away really quick. I honestly like, think it's the cost of submerging. Yeah. I mean, it's just the idea that if you have a boat that is a lot more cost beneficial than a submarine, yeah. because I mean, it could have been not a functioning. It submarine. drove me nuts that they drove all the way to that Island. Or yeah. Whatever, which, just, just like yeah. coasting on. Yeah. The... Yeah. As an aside, there's that one scene on the ship where Karen Allen and Ford are doing their love thing. Right. Getting back to that. Yeah. That was all improvised. So all of this, like, where does it hurt? Here, here, here. Yeah. That's all Ford and Allen. That's crazy. And that's that's, that's like from them. Good... That's from them. That's those chemistry meetings. Them yeah. making recipies together. Yeah. Making some eggs. In the egg building. Those Cornish hens. Yeah. That they made. <laughs> all their, uh, their uh, artisanal pizzas that they made. <laughs> so... I'm telling you, 30 years, this is going to be huge. <laughs> Just make the pizza. Just make the pizza. Yeah, the end sequence with the arc when they open the arc and all the crazy shit that comes out. Uh, in the script, it just says like all hell breaks loose. So mm-hmm. they didn't have like a conception for that. And That's most great. of that design came from Joe Johnston, who is a director. He would go on to direct what? Captain America, October and Sky, October Sky, also Jurassic Park three. But we won't hold that against him. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, he he came up with like the sketches of like the arc ghosts, also like the the lightning that came out and like melted people. So like yeah. a lot of what that end sequence looks like came from sketches that Joe Johnston drew. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and I think that brings us into the post because yeah, that definitely. was one of the biggest post concerns is how to do is how to sequence. make the ghosts. Yeah, yeah. You and the, speak to that? yeah, sure. The ghosts were actually silk puppets that they put in water because they wanted to give it the the sort of movement that they have that like ethereal movement they couldn't quite figure out how to get it right with actual puppets so they just submerged them and rather than move the puppets themselves they would just move the water in the tank so oh, it would wow. make their pretty smart their ghost bodies float yeah yeah, yeah. Those creepy face way. things hold up too yeah, yeah they're yeah. amazing yeah they're amazing and that's like a time lapse with a hair dryer I think really right? yeah, I yeah. think so yeah. Wow. It's like wax and it's like paper mache. Kind some of kind of, yeah, I, I forget what the material was, but it's just, they just did a time lapse filming of Melton that dude's face with the hair dryer. Except for Bullock, who's, Belloc. Belloc, sorry, whose just head explodes. His head yeah. blows the shit apart. And goes into Nazi soldiers, which what, is yeah. awesome. <laughs> I always wonder, maybe I missed it, but how does Indiana Jones know all you have to do is close your eyes? That's a it's very an amazing good question. question. In fact, uh, Brett, he mentioned the very same thing. Uh, now I have the answer for you. There is a deleted scene where the mom warns Indian Salah about the dangers of the Ark. If anyone touches the Ark, they will die. And if anyone looks at the Ark when it's open, they will die. The Iman mm-hmm. is the is the really old guy they go to talk to, to when he tells them that the, the reading on the other side of the medallion, yeah. when they figure yeah, out yeah, that yeah, the staff yeah, is yeah, too long, yeah. he's that really old guy. So it's a plot hole that's never mentioned. A plot hole that I think that no one ever mentions, but is like, pretty gaping in terms of like how yeah. things happen when uh Belloc captures Indy in the well of souls he also captures Salah so why is Salah free yeah I was wondering that too yeah there you go well there's a deleted scene uh where one of the Nazi soldiers says to a soul an- another Nazi soldier kill that guy and the soldier ha- they have a moment and he pities him and he lets him free uh, so that's why they also that was this that's the scene where John Reese Davies shit his pants. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so 
He got free had... because he shit himself. <laughs> he shit <all> himself. <laughs> but good question. Yeah. Good question, man. I want to talk about Ben Burt just because there's a few sure. interesting things about him. So Ben Burt is a guy who did the sound design. And he got an Academy Award for it. He did Star Wars. He, he was like crushing it on a yeah, major he's scale. He's the guy that made up like and all And there's the a few kind of inventive um, creating of some sounds being sound design. For example, the arc opening yeah. is just the sound of the lifting of the upper tank of the toilet. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite in the movie is that the snakes in the Well of Souls uh, has a mixed in fingers running through cheese casserole. That's just gross. That sounds delicious. <laughs> He's a fucking... I, uh, I don't think the, I've ever had a cheese casserole. I know, that was weird. It was very detailed. Uh, the sound of the ghosts when they come out of the ark are mixes of dolphins and sea lions screaming. Oh, yeah, and those are sound, he had, those were sounds that Ben Burt had made for the original Alien for Ridley Scott that they wound up not using. Wow. He's a fucking national icon. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the boulder is him putting a station wagon in neutral and rolling it down a hill and then leaning out the back and recording the sound of the tires going over yeah. gravel. And this really? is the guy who yeah. created lightsabers. Yeah, the lightsaber noises. He's also noises. the sound of Wally. -E. He's one of the greatest, like, Jesus, this guy has impacted my life yeah. sonically yeah. across the board. Like, he's done so many movies and he's all, he created the uh, sound that when an arrow hits a tree, it makes a... Yeah. Da -da -da -da. Yeah, yeah. That's a ruler on a desk. Yeah. And there he, he there has to be an award named after him, right? There, sh uh, there should there be. Should there be. has to be. I mean, he got a special achievement award for sound effects editing, too, for this film. Because the like, category didn't exist yet, right? It didn't exist yeah. yet, and they were like, this shit is real. Sort of like uh, special effects didn't exist until American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Really? Yeah, it got a special award, and then after that movie, that category existed. In fact, right. the Raiders was nominated for eight Academy Awards in 1982. Is that the only one it won? Uh, no, it won four. It was included in Best Picture, or it won five, sorry. It got art direction, film editing, sound, visual effects, and like we said, the Special Achievement Award for sound effects editing, which really didn't exist yet. Wow. Uh, but let it sink in that it didn't win for Best Score. Granted, it was the same year as Chariots of Fire. <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. Oh, uh... One last interesting thing, because you just mentioned the score that made me think. John Williams, who did the score for the movie, had actually written two different themes, and he brought yeah. them to Steven Spielberg and said, like, which one do you want to use? And he's like, well, just use them both. So the two themes he did were the main one, like, bum, 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 and then, like, yeah. the, the kind of interlude. Yeah. Those were, the two, those were two different themes he had written, and they just combined them together to make one. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Kind of cool. Just like, let's go both. Yeah. 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 Just like, killing it, Johnny <laughs> W. <laughs> what up, J-Dub? J-Dub. Ronnie, what's up, two teamers? Them two teams? Yeah. Yeah, baby. Let's go make the sand castle. <laughs> Comes in and dunks on him. <laughs> <laughs> he first he first spent a minute and 43 seconds dragging a hoop into the room. <laughs> Brings in, laboriously drags in a trampoline. Yeah, it's gonna be a trick shot. It's amazing. You're gonna love it. You hold no. this gorilla mask. I'm gonna wear it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Nah. Release. All right. That's how the movie was made. So let's now get into some observations in a segment we like to call hidden bullshit, the secret things. Uh, in this one, we're going to talk about symbolism like you didn't notice. As our After Hours mentioned, Marion is basically a teenager when she first met. Uh, yeah, in, late late uh, teens, yeah. let's hope. So, like, way uh, late teens. Let's yeah, hope, so hope. to be blunt, he reunites with an early 20-something 10 years later. Uh, <laughs> so he basically had sex with a 14-year-old. I, I, I mean, well uh, allegedly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned one of my observations as well. She's clearly a terrible alcoholic. Like, she oh, yeah. can drink a 200-pound... I don't know if it's a man or woman, and I don't want to be... Sure. Like, yeah, well, we don't have to gender. Drinks, we don't have to gender subscribe. Yeah. Drinks that person under the table, and I bet she, what, 100 pounds? Yeah. 115? Yeah, and then she's like, fine. Yeah, that's Completely not how livers were fine. And then continues to drink throughout that scene, which that, that scene in the bar in Nepal was the first gunfight Steven Spielberg filmed. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's... Kind of interesting. And so, that great shot of it for a second, you think, Indy thinks that he got yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then later when she does the same thing to Belloc, drinks him out of the table, and then like stumbles out Completely into the blazing fine. desert heat. Yeah. <laughs> no dehydration whatsoever. No, no, no. Like, she would be so... She's like, a tank. Yeah. <laughs> 
She's a fucking tank. She's that friend, like, you go, like, on, like, some French trip, and everybody's just feeling horrible the next morning, and they're like, I've been up since eight, guys. Let's do it. I've been up since eight. Let's I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, can you just slow it down? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Marion's like, no. Got... Some of us are busy getting old. Yeah. Just, just, it's like, in between shots, you're just chewing handfuls of Tylenol. Must be. <laughs> Must be. <laughs> what else is hidden? There's a couple of fun. It, like uh, in the Well of the Souls, when Indy and Sal are lifting the Ark out, you can see C-3PO and R2-D2 on one of the hieroglyphs. For real? Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like Lucas and Spielberg used to cram those sons of bitches into like every movie they did. Like I think R2-D2, you can see him in E.T. somewhere. In the end of Goonies, when the pirate ship breaks free and sails off, they're yeah. like on the deck of the ship. Really? Like they just like liked to keep reminding people. It's like, hey, remember we did Star Wars? Yeah, no one's going to forget. You didn't. We did. <laughs> yeah. And something Tom wrote in addition, which I love, is that the guy who played the mechanic is actually in the film twice. The gigantic guy who fights Indian Marion's bar. Mm-hmm. And then he's also in two. The gigantic mechanic who fights him in front of the plane. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I so, like to think of that guy as uh, Tom Hardy's dad from Bronson. Yes. Because yeah. he looks exactly yeah. like him. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's also in two other movies, the original trilogy as well. Yeah, he's in, he shows up in Temple of Doom as the head of the guards who gets like smashed by that rock smashing machine. Really? Yeah. And then he's briefly in last crusade walking up to the blimp that uh, Sean Connery and uh, Harrison Ford are on. They were supposed to have a fight scene, but it got cut. So right. he was like going to be like the same, I guess it's like the same family. He's yeah. basically Jaws from Bond. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because like, this reoccurring. Are him crime. and Harrison Ford the only two actors that appear in all three films? Ooh. Yes. Wow. I think yeah, the first Mary, three, I guess, because there yeah. is four. Yeah, there are yeah, four. We yeah, keep yeah. Short round. Yep. yeah, yeah. He had a three picture deal, man. Yeah. He's like <laughs> the Murdoch of this series. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, MacGyver Murdoch kept dying but would come back. That's this guy. <laughs> I'm other Murdoch. <laughs> I really, really nailed that reference for everyone. They're really going really gonna to dig that Murdoch reference. All right. We're going to segue into a segment that talks about scenes that would have enhanced or ruined the plot in a sequence we like to call bonus scenes that should have existed. I want to know about that fucking monkey. I want to see the story Holy of that fuck. Nazi monkey. And that guy. Yeah, like, who is he? The motorcycle guy that owned yeah. the monkey. And, like, they had a whole, like, they had le- he, he could look at him and be like, I'm going to stay there. Yeah. And the monkey would <laughs> yeah. be like, oh, I got you, bro. No, yeah. I got you. No, I'll, I'll hang tight. I'll hang tight for a while. I'll see you later, though. Yeah. yeah. This was not their first shady operation. Like, no. these guys were first, career. First dealing with Nazis. Yeah. Because my question is, like, was this Egyptian monkey taught a Nazi salute by osmosis or did like a nazi sim down and be like hey monkey this is how you greet us or did motorcycle guy tell him look these guys are nazis so if we want to get paid you got to do the hand thing and the monkey's like word i got it that makes sense but that's like such a level of communication of like okay so they think we think you know like there's a lot of they're insane the scene i wanted was motorcycle guy finding out monkey died and him. We oh. never see him again. He's going to be devastated. Bad that's like, dates. Well, that's, I mean, that's like if <laughs> that's he never. That's a bad date there. If oh, he, that's a bad date. <laughs> if he never found the, the lamp, that's Aladdin and Abu. Oh, you're like, breaking my heart. They just continued yeah. their life of petty street oh, crime to yeah. survive. Yeah. And then they eventually and he's not going to be a prince at the end of the story. No, he's going to be burying that dead monkey. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> he, was like, he was like, hello, my friend. Uh, my monkey was last seen right here. <laughs> With you guys, I don't. Uh, I was wondering if maybe I could get him back. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, my friend, I, let me tell you something very sad. <laughs> Do you sit, think sit with me. buried the monkey? Sit with, me, sit with me. Sit with me. Now we've already had a funeral, but we can dig him up if you would like. Like just the whole like. What do you? Because they never. Uh, he's gone. Uh, like, like, and then that guy has like his whole life changes. Oh, uh, motorcycle man! I want to see the sequel. That whole thing. Because like, cause they didn't know the monkey was evil. Dude, the so next they... Indiana Jones should be motorcycle man like getting his vengeance on, <laughs> on Indy. Indy. Yeah. Even though he didn't do it, but he just... He, he mi- just knows. He blames Indiana Jones yeah. for monkey's death. Right. And he's been waiting all these years to like, like get his revenge. And he does it via like poison dates. Yeah, it's gotta be, yeah, you know, for it's sure. Like, it has to be. An eye for an eye. Oh, oh, there has to be fanfic about that guy. Oh, that there guy's... has to be, right? I don't even know his name, but it's fucking great. It's eye patch motorcycle dude. He had a whole thing going on, <laughs> dude. That's the coolest. He had a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want that description. He knew right? what I mean, he knew what was up. <laughs> like, Fedora Whipmaster. Yeah, eye patch motorcycle dude. Shining a light to eye patch Michael's motorcycle dude with yeah. a monkey. Yeah, monkey henchman. <laughs> 
Sounds like a bizarro version of Ross from Friends. Oh man, yeah, he is kind of. I'm just wondering if if they if they buried the monkey because they didn't know he was evil, or if they just like threw him in the garbage. (laughs) That's kind of what I mean. I feel like anything, yeah, anything could go there. Probably bury him in the sand. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Let nature take him back from whence he came. Yeah, that's a scene I want, is motorcycle guy finding out that his, his monkey's dead. Yeah. So now we watch the movie, and now we'd like to make some observations that you may or may not have heard. Basically, any weird, non-intuitive arguments about things in the movie. We're calling this segment, Let's Overthink It. Yeah, let's think way too hard about this movie. Yeah. Okay, so at the end of the movie, um, the arc... Gets brought back, uh, the government confiscates it and throws it in the Radio Shack warehouse and we never uh-huh. get to see it again. And Indy and Marcus are like livid about it. They're both like, no, we need to, we should be able to study it. Like, you won't tell us anything that's about it. It needs to be before a team of scientists and dissected and like really, <laughs> like they're adamant that the arc needs to be like studied and like examined really thoroughly. And it's like, he forgot what happened the previous scene. Like the only reason Indiana Jones is like there to argue that he should look at the arc is because he didn't look at the arc when right. they opened it. He, it. At one point, I think on the steps says they don't know what they have. They don't know what they have. Yeah. It's like, yeah. But you know what they have. So you like no, should know that they're probably doing the best thing they can, yeah. which is like fucking hiding it. Not like a single archeologist putting it in a museum. Like they're doing the most responsible thing you can do to, Basically a weapon of mass destruction, yeah. which is just hide it away and right. forget about it. And Yeah, like, you know, this is like a, a magic box full of ghost murder. Yeah. Like, don't, what do you, what do you mean research? Like, what are you going to do? You're going to open it is what you're going to do. Whole movie, like before, yeah, like before he leaves, like Marcus is like, this is like nothing you've ever gone after before. Like he keeps warning them about how like severe it is. And then Sala warns them about how severe it is. And then like the Amon warns them. And then like, yeah. it's just like. The current of the whole movie is like, this was not meant for the world of men. It's not meant yeah. to be fucked with. And the Nazis are just carelessly using it because they don't respect its power. And then he's like, not, that's right. like where they go back to. It's like when, not respecting when its When you power. go back to that scene, he's got like a chip on his shoulder. And we, as the audience, like agree are with, with him. him. Yeah. yeah because... When they say like top men and he's like, who? And they're like top men, which is probably the most responsible thing that that man can be answering because he's like, if I were to tell you who it was, that is like a security breach. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell anyone who is on it, quote unquote. Why? Because it's a murder box. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a box of ghost murder. Yeah. So, yeah, let's just uh, <laughs> let's hide that and uh, never talk about it again. We, we shouldn't have dug it up in the first place. USA, but we did. USA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did it to keep it from the Nazis. Yeah. Like that's I think that's the undercurrent. Like what right. makes us not be mad at Indiana Jones for grave robbing is there's always a worse person trying to take yes. the same object. Absolutely. So we, we want him to get it so the bad person doesn't get it. <laughs> that's the only reason we're not like, oh, he's uh, he's just stealing things from other cultures. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so this is an early observation we made on Cracked, and I don't, I'm not saying we invented it, but it was like the first kind of, this type of observation that we started doing on the website, and that's basically, if Indiana Jones had stayed home and done nothing, the outcome of the film would have been the same. Like, the Nazis still would have found the Ark, they still would have taken it to that island and opened it, and they still would have all exploded with god magic. Or would they have ever found it? They might. I feel. Oh, it, because they would have had the. They know uh, where it is enough time, hand, which also creeped me out when I was a kid. Yeah. Right, because they they would have presumably would have got the medallion from Marion, because Indy isn't there to to do anything. Right. So either that, or even if they didn't have the staff at the right size, they are in the right area and they're just digging everywhere at that point. Yeah. So they would have eventually and found the ark. Would have probably said we should test this out before we take it. Yeah. And if anything, it's that German kind of, they talk about the Fuhrer, like he's like, this has to happen. Yeah. So you just do it. Yeah. Hitler was way into this. Yeah. <laughs> so you just, this will be find done. Find ark. Yeah. Find the ark. And uh, yeah. Zip magic bucks. My question about that though, is the moment that Indy knows, like, I want to flip it back to Indy and his place in, I mean, really the trilogy, quadrilogy, I guess. There's going to be a new film in 2020. But really? Yeah, Indy 5. He's so old. Yeah, I know. Uh, the moment that Indy knows that there's God magic, to the rest of the world, he can't prove it yet. He doesn't have the Ark, because it's in, sure not a museum, but, yeah. you know. It's uh, in a radio shack place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But in the four films where he's portrayed Indiana Jones... Physics has basically gone batshit. It's God, flaming hearts, God again, telepathic crystal aliens. At what point 
does he need this to be brought to like the global collective? I mean, what else is magic? Basically, right. he just like internalizes overnight. All of this. Yeah, he just goes full stop. I don't need to tell politics or news. Hey, we freed those children from slavery, and yep, yeah, it was blood mind control. Well, and and also <laughs> more specifically, it's not just like burning hearts and shit. It's like other gods. So yeah. he's basically learned like all religions are true and, and correct. aliens too, and aliens also. Well, I would say <laughs> like, like his failed relationships. His horrible relationship with his father, <laughs> all of his like run-ins with the supernatural. I think it's safe to say Indiana Jones is very good at compartmentalizing. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right about that. So it's just like a deep psychosis. He just yeah. stops thinking about it immediately. Yeah, this like... I I'm not. I can put this under that rug and it'll stay there. So when he's <laughs> when he's teaching to like the love. Like love you, girl. Yeah. Like he's just flippantly throwing in. So then, then the blood magic happens, and they're all. Like, <laughs> well, he's yeah. like, that's that's why he's messing around with teenagers and stuff like that, because he's like Rick from Rick and Morty. He knows that none of this shit matters. Ooh. Like yeah. he's like, this doesn't matter. <laughs> like I can yeah. do whatever I want. Like it belongs in a museum. <laughs> yeah. Like he's really well. That's my other. Like I think he's hardcore about that because you see that he and Marcus Brody clearly have this arrangement worked out right? right where he runs off and steals he robs graves sure. like he's breaking international law comes back and then can immediately just give him the marcus who gives him some money so he can put it directly in his museum right and indiana jones is clearly like a little on the young side to be like a tenured professor right mm-hmm. so it's like how old would you say indiana jones is in raiders of the lost Ark? mid 30s yeah 35 okay he's been doing it for i think he was 37 I mean, at the time that movie came out all right. yeah we know marion predates for sure. 10 years. So yeah. so either Marcus Brody has like substantial like blackmail dirt. Maybe he's got him and Marion or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, or some, like, the first girl. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, the I love you girl. Or Indy has like some rampaging addiction that he has to maintain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So like Mark, either way, like Marcus is clearly taking advantage of this. Well, this guy desperately needs money. So I'm just going <laughs> to send him off to steal <laughs> shit for my museum. He's like, and I I'll give him a, a professorship. Yeah. Maybe I'll kind of keep him under my wing. What a, but what like, if... he's my mercenary. Like, yeah, I his... need a heroin adventurer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Just the Indiana Jones theme playing, it's, shooting up in the back somewhere. I'm it's, it's a lot of heroin really good, in today's episode. Sure. It's a really sure. good point. I mean, where does Indy get all this money anyway? I mean, like, yeah, at the end. It's from Marcus, I guess. I guess. I mean, the G-Men are like, this agreement works for you. And like, we still don't like that it's not going into a museum. But um, okay. Hey, I've never wondered that before then. Like, that little gold statue that he switches out with the sand. Yeah. Why did that belong in a museum? Because it's history. Why did it not deserve to stay where these right, people culture, right. left it? Yeah, like that's like the the they eternal lo- argument of, of museums. Uh, you know, like if the Nazis stole a whole bunch of artifacts and like burned down the buildings that they were in, and you know they have all that art, and it still like to this day, there's like art being found that like Nazis confiscated and stuff like that. And the places where that art lived like has gone away. Then yeah. It belongs in a museum. Right. But these <laughs> things that are still sitting where they've been like worshipped or left or paying homage to whatever god they are for whatever culture he's infiltrated, why does that belong in a museum? That's like, well, that's like an Just actual... Like cultural appropriation? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like an actual like contemporary argument that is like happens now. Like there are communities that are like will endlessly petition museums being like, hey, give that back to us because that was like taken yeah. by some white dipshit. Yeah, to a museum in America, it belongs here in the culture where it it is from. It like let us put it in a museum yeah. here. Right. Like, why do you heck get to have it? So we've talked about how the movie was made and how some things are problematic. We'd like to talk about whether or not this movie should go on the gold record we send into space. Yeah. Ultimately, do we show this to aliens? I'm gonna start off. Yes, I say. It shows that we have propensity of like propagating our own history as a virtue. We learn from our mistakes uh, and we vilify the darkest parts of our history, you know? Uh, That shows intellectual growth. We learn from a collective history and are able to make heroic those that want to salvage and save our past. I think they like that. There's this Carl Sagan quote, actually. They will marvel at how vulnerable the repository of all our potential once was. How perilous our infancy. How humble our beginnings. How many rivers we had to cross before we found our way. I like to think that they honor that, Tom. I say, yeah, you show it to aliens because the series shows that God magic is is true and powerful and that we have powerful God magic to use against them. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's almost uh it's like a it's like a very subtle warning like shot over the bow. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, we got this shit around. Yeah. It's like subtle intimidation. Right. I love right. how I do this deep dive into the philosophy yeah, yeah. and you're just like, nah man, we got a big gun. <laughs> it's like we got a big gun, bro. Uh, That's all a knife. So yeah, I was about to say it's like showing somebody your knife collection. Yeah. <laughs> like, Dan, what do you think? Do you have an answer to this question? Do we show but whether or not aliens? we should show it to aliens? Yeah. Uh, Alien it doesn't ne- doesn't necessarily it's weird. have to be I would say, for... like, in context, yes. Like, how we talked about being, like, an homage to, like, so many earlier films. I think that it's a good form of, like, showcasing, uh, at least American, uh, in an American sense, like, our entertainment uh, of what we find, like, to be fun. Like, that old swashbuckling, mm-hmm. you know, adventure uh, story. But, but on the other hand, it highlights a lot of, like... Anything with Nazis is like just shows like how evil we can <laughs> yeah, be as people. Anything yeah. with Nazis. And then I wanted to say, but it shows another side to that because of it's nuanced. Yes, because of uh, you know Indiana Jones is he shares none of uh, of those qualities and wants to do what's right. But then we just really broke down how what he's saying is right might not be like the best thing when he, to right. him right is like taking other people's artifacts and putting them in a museum. Right, right. So I might have to say no. That's a valid oh, answer. There yeah. is an answer. There is an it's a good movie. I love it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But, but I don't know if I want it to represent. Way. Yeah, yes. it's difficult because we're talking about whether to show it to him as a piece of entertainment, but it's also like the <laughs> subtext of being like, this is a document of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we think. I always, as um, always, will take the side that there's the additional argument that anyone can make at any time, which is maybe they don't understand movies and just movies will scare them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they don't understand true. what no. this is. What is this? <laughs> so we're done here. We want you to know how you can talk to us via social media. First off, thanks for listening, and check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Cracked Movie Pod. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash Cracked Movie Pod. We've been Abe, Tom, and Dan. Dan, do you have anything uh, you want to plug before we go? Sure. I'd love to tell people to check out my podcast that I co-host alongside the Sklar Brothers. It's called Dumb People Town. It's on Feral Audio. That drops every Tuesday. And then I have my own show, Hindsight, which I have uh, people in the entertainment industry, comedians, writers, directors. They bring three photos from any chapter of their life, and we just talk about the context of their life when that photo was taken. It drops on Thursdays, Throwback Thursday. Oh, and uh, people listen mm-hmm. to the show and then see the photos or vice versa, whatever. Whatever, whatever uh, suits them. You can follow me at Daniel Van Kirk on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And yeah, I'm just doing stand-up shows around the country. I'll be on the East Coast this summer, the 208 Festival in Boise, Idaho, as well oh, as awesome. other stuff. Just at Daniel Van Kirk, you can keep up with all those things. And thanks for having me here today. Yeah, man. Thank hey, man. you so much for doing it. Yeah. It's great been, having you here. We've been honored that you joined us. Yeah. Dan will absolutely have you back when we do Stand By Me. <laughs> thanks. Or, 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 or Airborne. Or Airborne. Yeah, or Airborne. Man, we're oh, man. Devil's backbone all day, guys. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a month on Airborne, baby. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, and uh, carry on, movie lovers. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.